And uh, welcome back to a Wednesday night. Man, I, I'll tell you what, I am excited about tonight. Man, I'm excited about tonight because I love the message that, that, uh, that really the Lord has put on my heart for many years. And, and it's come together probably in the last couple of years. So this, believe it or not, what I'm sharing tonight has, has really been brewing in me for a couple of years. And, and the thing is that it has personally radically transformed my own walk with the Lord. And it's what I'm using in Point Men to, to help bring that transformation to the guys. So let's go back to where we were last week. You know, we, we started in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're talking about the armor of God and armor for the battle. Tonight, specifically, we're talking about forging the armor. And I'll tell you what that means here in a minute. But in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of weakness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. And then he goes on, and goes through the specific items and the armor. Sorry, there's communication there. Um, So he goes through those specific items in the armor. And here's something that's interesting that happened last week. And and I want to... Man, I couldn't have made this up on my own. (laughs) It's a perfect illustration that leads into what we're talking about tonight. See, last week, apparently, I forgot a piece of the armor. I know. And of all the pieces, I forgot the helmet of salvation. Hello? (laughs) Of all the pieces to forget, the helmet of salvation. Now, here's the thing. It it really was not intentional. I'm just going through my notes, and I just skipped right over it. But I want to share with you what happened after the service. Because, again, it's going to really feed into what we're going to do tonight. Because it illustrates what we do with the armor. See, once the service was over, you know, uh, talk with everybody, whatever, head on out. And I'm out in the parking lot. And all of a sudden, the enemy starts to talk to me. And he says this. He says, who in the world forgets the helmet of salvation? Seriously? I mean, if you forget maybe the, the, the breastplate of righteousness, you know, nobody really talks about that. Or, you know, maybe the shoes of peace, but the, the helmet of salvation? Come on, that's what the evangelicals are all about. You are an idiot. You think you're a pastor? Come on, man. Nobody forgets that. And everybody knew you forgot it, and I guarantee you they think you're a moron. So all this stuff is starting to go through my mind. And I get in the car, and it's continuing on the way home. So here's, here's what, man, after the whole thing's over, I'm thinking, man, this is exactly what we need to hear, hear tonight. This is exactly what we need to talk about because as, as I was going home, not only was he speaking those things, he was trying to attach it to what I call an emotional memory. Now, here's what I mean by an emotional memory. About a year and a half ago, I was in a car wreck up on Rosedale Street. I was sitting in a line of cars at a red light, and holy cow, man, this, this car came up from behind out of nowhere. Fortunately, I glanced in the rearview mirror just before it happened, so I knew what happened afterwards because, man, as soon as that car hit me, it was like I was floating through the air with the greatest of ease. You know, this slow motion. I mean, it was just, it was a mess. Car behind me hits me, I hit the car in front of me, and I just all over the place. But here's the thing. When, now when I drive by that particular place on Rosedale, which I do every now and then, not very often, not only do I have the factual memory of what happened, I have the emotional memory. If you've ever been in a car wreck and you go by that intersection or that street, you remember the emotions, the, the anger, the fear, the whatever occurred, it just comes back up like it just happened. And here's what the enemy was doing with me with emotional memories. It wasn't the accident. It had nothing to do with that. Here's what he was trying to do. When I was in high school, middle school and high school, I was bullied 
a lot. Now, of course, back then, bullying wasn't the big thing it is today. It was just normal. <laughs> you go to school, you get bullied. You know, that's just the way it is. But I was bullied a lot, man, I, and I hated school. Oh, man, I hated going to school because I knew what was coming every single day. So as I was thinking about, or as the enemy was telling me about what an idiot I was for getting the helmet of salvation, he was reminding me of the emotional memory, the fear, the, the worthlessness, the, uh, the, just the anger that I had as a kid being bullied, and he tried to tie the two together. Because memory on its own isn't as powerful as adding memory to emotion. Because then it's like this thing that grabs hold of you and you forget about the thoughts and hold on to the, the feelings and then that frees the enemy to throw all these, uh, these more uh, thoughts and stuff into your mind because you're more focused on the feeling. Well, I recognized what was going on and I put on the helmet of salvation. Now... I've been in a, in a congregation before or at a seminar when somebody says that, and I'm thinking, oh, that sounds cool. What does that mean? How do you put on the helmet of salvation? See, a lot of times I think we use that Christianese, but it's, it's like a secret code thing, you know, that maybe one or two other people know, and nobody else wants to say, I don't know it because I don't want to appear like I don't know what you're talking about. What does it mean to put on the helmet of salvation? Well, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Not just what the helmet of salvation is, but how do we actually use the armor practically in a situation like this? Because if you've ever been in in an emotional memory or had the enemy try to tie a current situation to a past situation with emotions, how do you use the armor to protect yourself against that? That's what I want to talk about tonight. See, the armor and that illustration that Paul uses of the Roman soldier's armor is just that it's an illustration. You don't literally take something and put it on your head. Every illustration will break down at some point because... The illustrations in the natural, the armor's in the spiritual. This is what we talked about last week. Everything is spiritual, right? So we can't physically put something on. I don't put the breastplate of righteousness on naturally. I have to do something spiritually. So how do we do that? How do we transition out of a natural illustration into a spiritual reality? And I want to do that, and I want to talk about that. Before I get to that point, we need to talk about how we forge the armor. Now, in Paul's day, they didn't have these huge industrial companies that actually, you know, had the, 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 the huge machines that could just stamp out armor over and over and over again. You had to go to a blacksmith, or you had to forge it yourself. And a lot of times, a soldier would forge his own armor So it was a custom fit. And it would fit that soldier, but it would not fit another soldier. And here's the thing. In the spirit, we have to forge our own armor to custom fit us. Because somebody else's armor will not fit us. And this is what happened with David. When Saul tried to give David his armor, it not only didn't fit him, it hindered him from doing what God wanted him to do. And a lot of times we rely on other people's armor, if you will, and actually it does us more harm than good. So how do we forge our own armor? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I have an answer for that. I don't know about anything else, but I've got an answer for that. To understand how we forge the armor, we have to understand the gospel. And unfortunately in the church today, there is a fundamental misunderstanding of what the gospel is. There's just a fundamental misunderstanding. We have reduced the gospel to one verse and to a heaven or hell issue. John 3.16, you don't go to hell one day. But what does that mean for me today? Do you not go to hell? Absolutely. Heaven and hell are absolutely involved in the gospel. John 3.16 is a summation of the gospel encapsulated, but it's not the whole thing. There's so much more to the gospel than just not going to hell. Because if that's all it is, then it's something in the future and it has no relevance in the present. But that's just the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is present today. 
today is the day of salvation. It's not just salvation from hell. So what does that mean? What does the gospel mean to us? If you're in point, man, this is going to look really familiar to you. Okay, we are all made up of three parts. A body, a soul. Now, when I say the soul, again, the soul is spiritual. You can't, I mean, you, a doctor can't go in, do, do an operation on me, go, oh, look, there's Brendan's soul. It's not going to happen because it's spiritual. But the soul is comprised of your mind, your will, and your emotions, your thinker, your picker, and your feeler. Okay? That's what your soul is. It's comprised of that. It's your personality. It's who you are. Uh, the illustration I use is, you know, if I want to operate in space, I have to put on a spacesuit. But the spacesuit is not me. I'm on the inside. If I want to operate in the physical realm, I have to have a body. But the body, this is not me. I'm on the inside. Okay? And that's my soul. Now, here's the thing. When we're born, every single person is born with a spiritually genetic disease called sin. And it's at our core. Everybody has it. There's no escaping. If you're born on earth, you have a sin core. That's, that's that original sin. That's what happened in, in the garden when Adam and Eve fell. It created this spiritually genetic disease called sin that is passed on to every single person. Now, here's what happens. Over time, that sin begins to infect your soul. It's like if I go shake somebody's hand and they've got the flu and I touch my eye, I infect my body with the flu. Well, that sin begins to infect our soul and we end up with sin sickness in our soul. And that sin sickness distorts the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act. And that leads to what we call sin. Uh, For me, it was pornography and a million other things, but usually we focus on one big thing. In this condition, we have no hope of ever changing. It's not about changing this. Because, you know, I was able to stop pornography for a while, even when I wasn't a Christian. But I couldn't get rid of that. And I certainly couldn't get rid of that. These are spiritual things that I can't do anything about. So what we need is somebody to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. Well, that's where the gospel comes in. Because in the gospel, here's what happens. We still have the three parts, the body, the soul. And of course, the soul is still the mind, will, and emotions. Now, here's what happens in the gospel. There's something very, uh, it's spiritual, it's, it's a mystery how this happens. But in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says this, If any man is in Christ, or woman, they are a new creation. A new creation? What is that? How I feel the same, I look the same, how can I be a new creation? In 5.21 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So how do we become the righteousness? You know, I bow my knee to Jesus and say, Jesus, take my life. I get up. Man, I look the same. I feel the same. I talk the same. How, what happens? Here's what happens. Is there's a great exchange. That sin core is taken out. And that effectual death on the cross of Jesus, that sin is then placed on him and in the core is replaced with truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's this huge exchange that takes place. Sin is taken out. Truth is put in. What is that truth? We are the righteousness of God in him. Uh, Peter tells us that we are partakers of the divine nature. This is the new creation part right there. Our spirit is completely redeemed. It is just just radically transformed on the spot. 
However, our soul still has that sin infection. Because if I shake somebody's hand and they've got the flu, I touch my eye, I infect my body, I go wash my hands from the source of the infection, I still have to deal with the infection. So Jesus has washed our spirit. Our, we have become alive spiritually for the very first time. He's removed that sin core, but that infection in our, sto- in our soul still remains. This is why a Christian can still sin. But this is still why God can look at us and say, there's my son, there's my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Not because of this, but because of that. So this does not affect this at all. So if you have struggles in your life, if you're in Jesus, God sees you as righteous. It is not based on what you do. It can't be because we'd never get there. Now, here's something that's really interesting, and I'm going to go into this a little bit deeper in a couple weeks. But there's a difference between a symptom and sin itself. And it's really important to understand this, and we'll we'll learn why here in a couple weeks. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, he says, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't do it. I know what I'm not supposed to do. Man, and I just keep doing that over and over and over. I, I know what I'm not supposed to do. That I keep doing. But then he says something really interesting. He says this. He said, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that is within me. So here's what happens. In Romans 7, Paul separates symptoms from sin. And it's really important to understand that. Pornography was not my problem. My problem was sin. Pornography was just a symptom of that sin. It's like, if this is a fire, this is the smoke. I can blow the smoke away, but guess what's coming back? More smoke because the fire's still raging. And the thing is, I can't get rid of sin. I don't have that ability I can muster up all the willpower I want, follow all the rules I want, and kind of get this to go away for a while. And maybe that'll go away for a while. But guess what's coming back? It or something else because the fire's still there. Smoke's coming back. The problem isn't the smoke. The problem's the fire. But I don't have the water, the living water, to put it out. Okay, So if we only focus on the symptom, we'll never get to the source. It's like a doctor. You go to the doctor and say, man, I've got a headache, or I've got a pain, or I've got something else. The doctor's going to look for the source, not just treat the symptom. Because if he gets rid of the pain, and the the symptom of the pain, but the cause is something that's deadly... What's the point? You just feel really good, but you end up in the same condition. God is not interested in getting rid of our symptoms. He's interested in getting rid of sin. And it's a huge difference. Huge difference. So, how do we get rid of sin? Well, if I've got pneumonia, I can't get rid of pneumonia on my own. I, I, I don't have that ability. I can drink all the chicken soup I want. It ain't going nowhere. So what do I do? I go to the doctor, and the doctor gives me a prescription. And I go to the pharmacy. The, the, the pharmacist fills that prescription. I come home. I've got this little pill bottle. And in there, I take these pills out. And this pill is chemically alive, so to speak. What I do is I take that pill. I implant it in my body. And it does in me what I cannot do in myself. And it begins to heal that physical sickness. And as long as I keep taking that prescription according to that prescription that the doctor gave me, I know I'm going to experience healing. Okay? This is spiritual. Sin sickness is spiritual. It's not natural. So I can't just go to the doctor and say, hey man, I got sin in my life. Can I get a pill so I can get rid of it? Mm -mm. 
Not going to happen because it's not natural. It's spiritual. And because it's spiritual, I don't have the power to get rid of it. I can read all the self-help books I want, and that sucker ain't going nowhere. I can go all the positive motivational seminars I want, that sucker ain't going nowhere because it's spiritual. What I need is not something that's chemically alive. I need something that's spiritually alive to get rid of that sin sickness. So I need a prescription not to heal a physical sickness. I need a prescription for life that will heal a spiritual sickness. Fortunately, we got something that will do that. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. It is spiritually alive. Just like that pill is chemically alive, the word of God is spiritually alive. And James, in James 120, in James 121, says this, the implanted word has the power to save your soul. And that's exactly what we need. We need something to save our soul, not from hell, from the sin sickness that it's suffering with. So how do I take my prescription for life? Do I go to my Bible, rip the pages out, crumple it up and eat it? No, that's not going to work. How do I implant the Word of God? Because with the pill, all i got to do is take the pill, plop it in, drink a glass of water, and it's implanted in my body. How do I implant the Word of God? It's really easy. You read it. That's it. <laughs> you read it or you listen to it. Preferably both. It's just that simple. But here's the thing. When you go to the Word of God... It's not a matter of pulling out the information of the word first. This is where 99% of Christians get tripped up with the word. As a pastor, I have people come to me over and over again and say, hey, I'm dealing with this. Or I do one-on-one discipleship with guys, and one of the first things I'll ask them is, how much time do you spend in the word? And when the people come up to me and say, hey, I'm dealing with this issue, I'll ask them, how much time are you spending in the word? Almost every single person will say, "Mm, not much. And unfortunately, the average Christian, 99.9%, and that's a conservative number, don't spend every day in the Word. They just don't do it. We say the Bible's important. We know it's important, but we don't read it. So I'll ask them, okay, why not? Why aren't you reading the Word every day? Well, they'll say, well, you know, I, I used to read it or I tried reading it, and I didn't get anything out of it. Okay, what are you looking for? Uh, well, you know, I hear Pastor Jeff on Sunday, or, you know, I hear Tony Evans on the radio, or I read this book by David Jeremiah, or whatever, but I don't get anything like that when I read the Word. Okay, so you're looking for information. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I hadn't thought of that. I said, okay, what if the purpose of the Bible was not to inform you? Uh, what do you mean? So the number one purpose of the Bible is not to inform you, it's to transform you. That is the number one purpose of the Bible. It's not about information. It's about transformation. You see, when I take that pill that I get from the pharmacist with the prescription from the doctor, I don't come home, open that pill bottle, throw the pills on a table, find a physician's desk reference to figure out what pill this is, and then go to an organic chemistry book and go, how does this stupid thing work? I'm not going to take it until I know how it works. Who cares? Just implant the stupid thing. You don't need to understand doctrine and theology to experience the transforming power of Jesus. You don't need to do that. And it's right there in the Word. When the Pharisees came to Jesus one day, he said to them, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have life, but these are that that speak of me, but you won't come to me. So what's the point? How many people do you know that know a lot of doctrine and theology whose lives are a mess? 
What's the point? And unfortunately in the church today, we have so elevated knowledge and information that we determine people's maturity based on how much they know rather than how much they've been transformed. And that's a huge problem. That is a huge problem. And it's one of the greatest deceptions of the enemy in the church because it does two things. One, it will either drive you away from the Word because you think, I'm not good enough to get anything out of the Word, so I'll just put it back where it was on the bookshelf and I won't. I'll just listen to Pastor Jeff or Tony Evans or read books by David Jeremiah. So I won't do it because I'm not getting anything out of it because I'm not good enough. Again, like I said, we have a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. Because if you think you're not good enough, you don't understand the gospel. You've been made good enough. It's not based on what you've done or what you can do. It's based on what he has done in you, in your spirit. You've been made good enough. The, the flip side of the coin is, well, you know, I can give you a theological dissertation on eschatology. That makes me mature. Man, I can walk around with my concordance and my strongs and, and all my commentaries, and man, look at me. Yet, you're out at the bars, and you're looking at porn, and your marriage is a mess, and who cares how much you know? Who cares? I may know how this pill works organically, biologically, but if I don't take it, it doesn't do me any good. I may know all the doctrine and theology in the Word, but if I'm not reading the Word in order for it to change me, to transform me, it does me no good. It does me no good at all. Because motivation in the kingdom is everything. In Jeremiah, I'm sorry, in Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord tells, Isaiah, tells Israel, man, you're doing all the right stuff, but you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. So I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Why? Because their motivation was off, not their actions. Motivation is infinitely more important to God than action. You can do the right thing for the absolute wrong reason and God will reject it every single time. So you can go to the Word, and if you're interested in becoming a theologian or you think information will bring you life, but you're not willing to, for it to bring you to Jesus, it's not going to do you any good. It will not do you any good. However, if you are willing to get into the Word for the transforming aspect of it, here's what happens. As you read the Word and take that prescription every day, it begins to release this truth out of your spirit just like the sin was released. And what does that do? It begins to eliminate the sin sickness. And when the sin sickness is eliminated, guess what happens to the symptom? It just goes away. It just goes away. I tried for 12 and a half years as a Christian to stop pornography. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. When I finally... When God finally got me into a position to where I would allow the Word of God to transform me, that pornography just whoosh, disappeared. I didn't do anything. Not only did it disappear, it ain't coming back either. For, for the last six years, I've been pornography-free. Not because I'm good, not because I did anything right other than allowing God to transform me. And this is why we miss it with all these symptoms. We're going after the symptom. God's after the source. If we will go after the source and allow the Word of God to heal our soul, all this stuff that we're looking at will just disappear on its own. So we have to be in the Word every single day. And one more thing about information before I move on. Here's why it's really important to experience transformation first. Because if you add information to a mind that is sick with sin sickness, that information is going to get distorted. And how many people do you know are running around with distorted theology? They're everywhere. 
everywhere. What good does it do you? It doesn't do you any good at all. Because your mind is still dealing with sin sickness. If you will allow the word to first transform you, the information will come through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just the natural next step. But we have to be willing. We have to be willing to humble ourselves before God and say, God, I can't do this. As long as we think we can do this, we're preventing God from doing this. Because this is pride. This is humility. Saying, I can't do it. It's surrender. It's what the gospel is all about. In order to experience the transforming power of Jesus, you have to surrender. You have to give up. Give up your ability to make changes in your life and allow God to do what only he can do, and he wants to do it. He wants to do it if we will let him. So here's the thing about the prescription for life, and this this has double meaning. Number one, it brings life, okay? But number two, it's for life. Because sin sickness is terminal. It is. There's no escaping it. If, if I'm willing to get on this prescription and that healing power of the Word of God begins to save my soul and it begins to shrink that sin sickness in my soul and those symptoms go away, there's a real danger zone that comes up. And here's what I mean. When I was a police officer, I went through a program called Mental Health Peace Officer. It was designed to teach police officers how to deal with people who were dealing with mental health issues but were involved in criminal activity. Because sometimes you couldn't tell the difference between somebody who was just having a mental breakdown with some sort of mental issue or they were actual criminals. So they taught you how to do that. And one of the things they told us in that class was what I call the schizophrenic cycle. And here's what happens. People who have schizophrenia are, are very, very difficult to, to help live a normal life. A doctor will work with a schizophrenic patient for many, many years to get the right combinations of medicine based on their specific condition to get them to the point where they can live a normal life. But eventually, if the doctor's able to do that, what happens is over time they begin to live a normal life. They get a job. They get, nobody would ever know they're dealing with schizophrenia. But what happens next is they begin to think, I'm normal. I don't need medication anymore. So they stop taking their meds. And then there's this slow, gradual decline. And eventually they end up right back where they started, and they think, how the heck did I get here? And this is exactly what happens with Christians. We get on our meds, and things go really well. And then all of a sudden we think we're normal. Uh, you know, I, uh, I don't need to read the Word. You know, I got all this theology. Yeah, you know, the Cowboys are playing today. I'm just not going to go to church. They're playing every Sunday, so the whole football season, forget it. <laughs> Things are going great. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to whatever. And we rationalize ourselves out of taking our meds. And eventually there's this slow, gradual decline And all of a sudden, we end up down here and go, how the heck did I end up here? How did I end up here? And then all of a sudden, we get back on our meds again, and here we go. And now it's this roller coaster, and we just keep living like that. Because when I stop reading the Word of God, because sin sickness is alive, it's spiritually alive, if I don't combat it, it will grow. So if I stop taking my meds, that sin sickness in me begins to grow and eventually it manifests in symptoms and my life becomes a mess again. And this is where the majority of the Christian church is. They're up and down, up and down, up and down, in and out, in and out, in and out because they're off their meds. Then they're on their meds. Then they're off their meds. And eventually they get to the point where this whole Christian thing doesn't work, so I'm out. because they don't understand the gospel, and they don't understand the power of the word. 
We have to be on this for the rest of our lives. Every single day, no matter what. Here's what I recommend to all my point men and all the guys I disciple. You need what's called a baseline. If you have a prescription on that label, it says one pill a day every day for three weeks, six weeks, whatever. That's all, all of a sudden that becomes a baseline. You don't really think of it that way, but that's what it is. So I know if I'm supposed to take one pill a day every day for the next six weeks, I take one today and then, well, maybe I'll take one Sunday, I'll take one next week, and a month after that, I know it's not going to work because I'm underneath the baseline. And if I go back to the doctor three weeks later and go, you know, this cough I've got because I've got pneumonia just ain't going away. What's he going to ask me? You taking your meds? Are you taking the prescription? Well, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't understand how it works, so I didn't take it. He's going to tell me, get on your meds. There's nothing I can do for you until you take your meds. So coming to, now I'm not saying don't come to a pastor. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if you come to me and I've told you to get on your meds and you come to me and so, say, man, ain't, you know, my, 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 my life just, it just, you know, last three weeks, just things, just, you know, nothing's changed. I'm going to ask you, are you on your meds? And if you say no, I'm going to tell you, get on your meds because there's nothing I can do for you. I can't fix you. I don't have that power. But Jesus does. Jesus has that power. And if you get on those meds, I guarantee you things will change. I guarantee it. So we need what I call a baseline. And the baseline I use, let's do it here, is a one-year plan. Why do I recommend a one-year plan? Uh, for two, well, really three reasons. One, it gives you a baseline. Because on a one-year plan, the plan tells you what to read every day. And it's usually somewhere in the neighborhood of three to four chapters a day. Okay? If, if three to four chapters is daunting for you, start with three to four verses or a paragraph. Start somewhere and build up to that. But once you get to the point where you're on a one-year plan, that becomes your baseline. And I know if I consistently get below that baseline, I know I'm going to be in trouble. I'm not saying you miss one day. I'm saying if you miss five, six, seven days, two weeks, a month, consistently, now, okay, I'm below the baseline. I know that I'm off my meds and that sin sickness is going to start growing and I'm eventually going to get in trouble. So now you have a baseline, so stay on the baseline. So it gives you baseline. Number two, it gives you structure. The Bible is a very daunting book. If you go tonight, go to the Bible and say, well, let's see, where am I going to start? I'm going to start in numbers. Whoa, I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. Numbers or, or Leviticus, even better. Yeah, man, that'll bless you. <laughs> I'm done. You know, I read like three verses and it was all in Greek and I'm not sure what happened. But the cowboys are on you. Yeah, come on, man. I can understand that. It gives you structure. So as you follow the plan, you get in the Word every day. So that's, one, it's a baseline. Two, it's structure. And then number three, not only have most Christians, do most Christians not read the Bible every day, most Christians have never read the entire Bible at any time in their life. So on a one-year plan, you go through the Bible every single year. Now, am I on a one-year plan? You bet I am. And I will stay on a one-year plan for the rest of my life as an absolute baseline. Now, I've got a one-year plan, but I also create what I call a buffer zone. See, a buffer zone is something that will keep you above that baseline. Now, here's what I mean by a buffer zone. Devotionals are phenomenal buffer zones. But here's the problem with devotionals. And it's so unfortunate we call them devotionals because we call it devotional time. And you think, if I read a devotional, I'm okay. But here's the problem with devotionals. Devotionals are a little bit of word and a whole bunch of information. And it's deceiving because information cannot transform you. Only the Word of God. If I go to GNC tonight and say, man, I need a Costco-sized case of vitamin supplements because I'm going to stop eating, they're going to look at me like I'm a moron. And they're going to say, that ain't going to work. They're called supplements for a reason, not substitutes. Devotionals are great supplements. They're terrible substitutes because they leave you spiritually malnourished. 
But above the baseline, they're fantastic. They're phenomenal above the baseline because it creates a buffer zone. The other thing that I do to stay above the, the, the baseline in a buffer zone is I listen to the word every day. I've got a set of earphones and I just plug it in and every day I'm listening to the word of God. I'll be walking through Walmart and I'm listening to the word. In Walmart, you pretty much need to be listening to the word. Anyways, <laughs> but that's beside the point. <laughs> Let me say one more thing and I want to move on to the armor real quick. When you read the word or listen to the word, because when I'm in Walmart looking for milk, eggs, butter, whatever, there are times I am not mentally capturing everything I listen to. There are times in the morning or in the afternoon or wherever I read my one-year plan where I sit down and I read and I get up and like three minutes later, I'm like, holy cow, what the heck did I just read? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, all right. A little truth in the room. Thank you, Jesus. Here's the thing. Let me deliver you from that right now. Okay? In the beginning, it doesn't matter what your mind captures because your spirit captures 100% of it. You are not feeding your mind. You're feeding your spirit. That is what you're doing. So it doesn't matter if you get up three seconds later and go, uh... Ugh. Cowboys. <laughs> Who cares? It doesn't matter. In the beginning, at, at, a, at some point in the future, what's going to happen is that sin sickness in your mind is going to be able to be, is going to be healed, and all of a sudden you're going to start capturing it. It's like a net. Right now, the net of your mind has holes this big, and like whales are flowing through it. But eventually those holes get smaller and the net gets stronger and all of a sudden you start capturing stuff and you go, whoa, I've never seen that before. The reason you've never seen that before because your mind was sick with sin sickness and as the Holy Spirit healed it by feeding your spirit, he closed those gaps and now you're capturing things that are spiritual, not just informational. Big difference. Big difference. So don't let the enemy lie to you and say, well, if you're not capturing it here, it's worthless. That is a lie of the enemy to keep you away from the transforming power of the word. Don't let him do that. So every single day, you've got to be in the word. And I highly recommend a one-year plan because, again, a one-year plan gives you a baseline, it gives you structure, and it gets you through the word every day single year get on your meds because we're all sick so here's the thing i want to look at the armor real quick as we as we come to a close because i said at the beginning you know i put the helmet of salvation on what in the world does that mean well let me talk to you about what that means okay so i want to talk about these the the armor real quick in the context of what we talked about last week and i'm talking about putting it on So last week, we talked about the belt of truth, which is our identity, okay? Our identity. Our identity is not out here. Our identity is right there. That's who we are. Before this occurred, before that great transformation, yeah, our identity is out here, but not anymore. If if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And our identity is inside out, not outside in. So that's where that belt of truth comes in, your identity, your gospel identity. The breastplate of righteousness. This is a gift from God. Your righteousness has nothing to do with what you've done or ever could do. It's yours, a gift that God has given you. The gospel, the shoes of peace, or the gospel of peace, the shoes of the gospel of peace. It's that firm foundation. Jesus has changed the footing from soft mud to solid rock. In Psalm 40, he says he take, he's taken us out of the miry clay and set our feet on a rock. That's what he's done. The shield of faith, that's our authority. In and in a couple of weeks, we'll talk more about our, our authority The Word of God, it has to cut us first before it cuts the enemy. And then finally, the helmet of salvation. 
The helmet of salvation is a sound mind. In, in, in 1 Timothy 5.17, or 5, sorry, 2 Timothy 5.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And that word in the Greek means self-control. It's a fruit of the spirit. We've been given control over our minds. That means we can control what we think. Now, I'm going to go into the use of it here. This is how you forge the armor right here. The, the foundry or the, the blacksmith's shop in the spirit is your relationship with Jesus. That's where you forge that armor specifically for you through the power of the word and the transforming power of Jesus. You got to go to the foundry every single day and get that armor specifically fit for you. This is why you cannot rely on somebody else's faith because it won't work. Because faith is not a formula, it's a relationship. And you cannot borrow somebody else's relationship with Jesus. You have to have your own. So how do you forge the armor? You get in the Word every day, and you get before Jesus and allow him to transform you. So here's how I used the armor last week. As the enemy's running all this stuff through my mind, the emotional memory and all this other stuff, I put on the helmet of salvation by immediately taking control of my thoughts. I said, whoa, okay, stop. Stop. You know, when I was a cop and somebody was doing something wrong, what did I do? Hey, stop. Why could I say that? Because I had the authority to say that. And as a Christian, we have the authority to tell the enemy, stop. But we've got to do it. See, I recognized the voice of the enemy. I knew it wasn't me. I knew it was the enemy. But that only comes through experience. Hebrews 5.14 says, But solid food belongs to those who are full of age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. How did I recognize the voice of the enemy? Through the exercise of use, through experience. I knew that was the enemy. So I was able to take control of my thoughts, take authority over the enemy and say, stop, knock it off. And then, in addition to exercising my authority, which is the shield, then from a position of confidence... Here's the confidence, my identity, the belt of truth. I know who I am in Jesus, my identity. The breastplate of righteousness. My righteousness is not based on the fact that I forgot the armor or the, the helmet of salvation. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with Jesus. So my righteousness and my worth has nothing to do with the fact that I forgot to mention a piece of the armor. My shoes, the, the, the firm foundation, I can stand my ground because I'm on solid ground because Jesus will back me up. But I've got to do it. So I stopped, I mean, I stopped the enemy in his tracks because I knew who I was. I knew it was the enemy. I had the authority to do it and I took control of my thought process and then I used the word to speak the truth of who I was. Now, I know a lot of people think, oh, does that mean you were speaking to yourself out loud in the car? Yeah, baby, you bet I was. <laughs> Absolutely. Because there's somebody listening. You ever watch a football game and, and, and a football player scores a touchdown, man, they slam down that ball and they start speaking to nobody? <laughs> yeah, you bet. You know, I knew I could score that. I, man, I worked so hard this week. Who are they talking to? And nobody looks at him and goes, whoa, this guy's weird. Why? Because there's something powerful in verbalizing the truth. Now, if you're not to that point, okay, say it in your mind. At least do it and then build up to that point. Don't let the enemy condemn you. Say, well, you're just not comfortable saying it. Okay, say it in your mind. It doesn't matter. It's not a formula. It's not some sorcery or, or spell. You don't have to follow some rule. 
you just got to believe who you are and who he is and that the enemy will back down. Because I guarantee you, by the time I got home, everything was good. Everything was good. I no longer believed, nor did I didn't believe in the beginning, but <laughs> I didn't believe and I didn't receive that I was an idiot. And that everybody in here thought I was a moron because I forgot the helmet of salvation. I didn't believe that. I was told that, but I didn't believe it. Would you stand with me? Now, I mentioned, you know, it's not about a formula. And it's not about following some sort of rule. Man, as excited as I was about this week, man, I'm really excited about next week. Because next week, we're going to talk about the law and how devastating it is to every single Christian. You've been freed from the law to serve God. But unfortunately, we end up serving the law thinking we're serving God, and in reality, what we do is we do just the opposite of what we want. And I, I'm, man, I'm so excited about next week because there's so many people who are going to be set freed from the law. So tonight, here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes real quick. We're, we're just about done. And I just want you, in your own mind, to make a commitment tonight. Okay? I want you to make a commitment to do two things. Number one, you commit to read the Word of God every single day. You just say, Lord, I make that commitment tonight. Just say it in you. just want to say it out loud, say it out loud. You want to say it in your mind, say it in your mind. It doesn't matter. I make that commitment to read the Word every day. And number two... I'm going to read for transformation, not for information. Because I need Jesus to transform me. I can't do it. I can't do it. So tonight, that's all I want you to do is make those two commitments. Because if you will do that and you get on your meds, I guarantee you, six months from now, your life will be radically transformed. Radically transformed. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for the transforming power of the word of Jesus Christ that leads us to salvation, but, Lord, it also will save our soul. So tonight, Father, I know you have heard these commitments. You have heard what we've said, not from our mouths or not from our minds, but from our hearts. And, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen every single person in here tonight to be a reader of the word, to position themselves to experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Give the Lord a hand.